episode 48, we're going to be looking at a trio sonata that may well in fact not even be by our favorite composer, Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, specifically, we're looking at this four-movement trio sonata. Um, Bach is not well known for writing collections of trio sonatas, at least instrumental trio sonatas, like Arcangelo Corelli, for instance. Uh, and so it's it's a little bit of an um, outlying work that we would have just one of these types of pieces written. Now, we've looked at be, in the past at Bach trio sonatas, but uh, the ones in, specifically we're looking at were the ones that were written for organ. And there could be conjecture whether these were originally written for the organ or they are arrangements for something else that we no longer have. But as we found, rearranging these organ pieces in the context of a trio sonata, multi-movement work, uh, with two leading voices on top and a bass, uh, it, it was part of the Baroque uh, repertoire to write in this format. So it's, it's a little uh, inaccurate to say that Bach did not write in the trio sonata format, but he didn't leave us, for instance, an Opus three collection of trio sonatas. Perhaps if Bach had been in a different uh, job, if he had not gone to Leipzig and uh, became a church musician, maybe we would have collections of uh, instrumental sonatas. And so this one stands out. And the opening you just heard uh, from BWV 1037 comes from an album that uh, has always been a favorite of mine since I got it. It comes from 2000. It came out on the Astre label. This is the uh, Rare Fruits Council which uh, is led by the violinist uh, Manfredo Kramer and Pablo Valetti. Uh, Manfredo Kramer uh, came to my attention earlier as a member of Musica Antiqua Cone, and Pablo Valetti, uh, his, his partner with the violin, um, has gone on and done a number of successful recordings and ventures with his ensemble uh, known as Café Zimmerman. And so uh, I believe we've highlighted some of their albums in the past. So this is sort of... A little earlier in history, 2000, um, the one thing I'll say about the recording that stands out every time I listen to it, and I remind myself this every time, the volume level on the album is, seems very high. Um, we know that in a lot of popular music, they they master the recording so that they, um, they just sound loud compared to a lot of classical recordings. And there are some technical reasons for that. So this one just stands out as a little strange to me because it's it's very, um, I would say, hot. Uh, and so when I pull up this album, I have to remind myself I have this sort of tick now. I have to go grab the volume control a little bit uh, to save my ears, especially if I'm using headphones. So really great album. What I wanted you to hear in that opening 
was how un-Bach-like it sounds. Now, when we get to the faster movements, this is a four-movement work, so it's slow, fast, slow, fast. Uh, you might say, oh, that, that could be by Bach. But this opening movement to me just speaks of a style that seems a little bit removed from Bach. And um, there is conjecture that this piece, is, in fact, is not by Bach, and that would be an example of maybe why. Um, the supposed composer is uh, Goldberg, uh, who is famous today not for uh, necessarily writing music, but Bach made this guy famous. He was a, a young keyboard virtuoso that supposedly, as the story goes, uh, Bach wrote the Goldberg Variations. Uh, not for him as like a patron, but he was the one that was, was going to perform them. And that there is conjecture around that because it's hard for us to believe that somebody at the age, if you look up the dates, that that would fit. However, that's, you know, that's back in history and we've lived with, with this association of these two men. Uh, but Goldberg himself, uh, I, I don't have a lot of music by Goldberg. I do have one of his trio sonata um, kind of instrumental chamber music CDs in that uh that can, comes on the uh, MDG Classics label with um, Musica Altaripa, uh, another German ensemble. Um, it's a good CD, it's a good exposure to the composer, uh, and he does come a little later than Bach, and so we would expect the style to be a little more uh, towards the gallant rather than the uh, what I would call the high Baroque, uh, less like a Telemann, less like a Vivaldi or a Bach, um, a little more lyrical, uh, a little more emphasis on melody. Uh, and that's kind of what we get in the opening of this sonata. So let's listen to an alternative. This is a um, an older recording. Uh, so the one I just mentioned, 2000. This one, I believe, comes from the very early 80s. I don't have the actual date. But it was uh, an album entitled J.S. Bach, Sonate en Trio, uh, performed by London Baroque. London Baroque, uh, obviously, were in England. Their, uh, their director, Charles Medlam, who uh, was a cellist and uh, gamba player. Um, and this is on the Harmonia Mundi label. taste there. It's it's a thinner sound, and um, I'm not going to hold it, especially against them because of the the era in which the recording was made. Um, but you can see the the difference in uh, artistic uh, approach. They they conceive of these these lines as very slow, and it's it's a great contrast to um, what I think is probably a, at the time a very typical performance in terms of tempo, but um, of course, an ensemble like the Rare Fruits Council comes in and they kind of turn it up a notch in terms of tempo. 
which for me both are interesting. I, I I can appreciate the music at either tempo, but obviously um, it produces a little different effect. So that was that recording, and I'm not going to highlight any more off of it. I just want to let you know that it was out there. It's it's likely if it's still available um, through purchase. It's at a, it's a discount because the the album has um, got some age on it. And I think there are probably some better performances that have come out since. But at the time, it was my first exposure to this sonata. Uh, and they they highlight some others, such as the trio sonata from um, the musical Offering. And we've covered that in an early episode of Bachcast. So we're going to get now into the second movement, one of the fast movements. And uh, I'm going to go back, in this case, to the Rare Fruits Council, and we'll see what they do with that one. Listen to a lot of these trio sonatas. You're using, you might say, Corelli as a model. Um, what we just heard wasn't that all that surprising. We hear a contrapuntal movement. This is um, typical. You present a theme and you treat it in a contrapuntal fashion. So those that theme goes throughout all three voices, including the bass. And you can even sing it. Da 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 da. Uh, it's got both the, um, what I'm going to call a smooth transition of notes, notes that are very close, and then you've got a jump, which is typical uh, of what you'll see in a, in a, in a fugue theme. Um, and to me, it's interesting because the, the theme itself speaks of um, a later period in the Baroque. It, it seems it's got a little bit of uh, chromaticism in it, right? And it... It's got the jump, uh, but it just seems it's a singable theme. And not that Bach didn't write singable themes, but it, it seems a little more melody-oriented. And so I can't help but wonder if it was Goldberg who comes up with the theme, and is is he at all working with Johann Sebastian Bach um, in developing the movement itself? Because the rest of it has sort of this... Um, uh, construction that we would say, hey, that, that's very well done. The way it's presented, the, the quality of the theme. Um, could it be, does it have the whiff of a Bach in it? Um, and without going into the details about why we think this is by Bach, uh, we know that there's a relationship between this younger composer, performer named, um, I believe it was Johann Gottlieb uh, Goldberg, 
and Johann Sebastian Bach? And were they in a relationship to, to teach one another? And was this a collaboration? Um, these are things we may not ever get down to the bottom to, but to me it's very interesting. We open with this very forward-looking in terms of the style, and then we get to this movement, which is looking backwards, if you will, uh, to the models that we um, saw emerge around 1700. And so this is something that could be at least 50 years old in the making uh, in terms of the structure. Um, and here it is in a, in a very sort of updated guise. Um, I'm going to switch now to the third recording I want to highlight uh, in this podcast. And this is a recording that just came out, and that's one of the reasons I want to highlight it. Uh, it, it had a very, um, well, it had an infectious um, title to me. Uh, the marketing, if you will, got me, or the, 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 the gist of uh, the recording in general. Um, the title of this album is BWV, an ellipsis, or not, question mark. BWV, dot, 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 or not, uh, which is a curious uh, title. Uh, the front of the album, it looks like a bunch of drawers, and sticking out one of one of the drawers is the uh, scroll of a string instrument, presumably a violin. And they've also uh, reproduced Johann Sebastian Bach's signature on the cover. The ensemble here is Glee Incogniti, um, directed by, from the violin, Amundine Bayer. Uh, and I've uh, had the fortune of seeing Ms. Bayer perform live. I've been a fan of uh, some of her recordings. And so this album covers um, sort of uh, works with some, some questions about the authenticity. We get B2V 1024, 1038, 1036. Uh, we get this sonata, which has now been given a Goldberg number. Uh, Goldberg numbers are new to me. This is the first time I've seen them in a recording, but um, there is a D-U-R-G numbers for Johann Gottlieb Goldberg, uh, and this is number 13, but it's also been uh, cross-referenced as B-2-V 1037. She then includes the musical offering 1079. I think that quite definitively is by Bach, but I think it gets included in here because the main theme of that piece uh, was... Uh, provided by uh, Frederick the Great. And then we end with uh, a piece that um, in the catalog is B2V 1025. And we might cover this in a future one, but it just so happened that I got like two or three recordings all at once that includes this uh, 1025 uh, suite, as they call it, in A major. And uh, more than likely, it is a piece by um, Weiss, or Weiss, uh, the uh, lutenist that was in Bach's circle, uh, because we have the piece uh, by Weiss, and um, this may be just a reworking by Bach of that piece for um, harpsichord and violin. Uh, it also appears, the other album that um, I just purchased that has that is uh, curiously named uh, Bach and Weiss, um, and I have not reviewed that album yet, but it, it's, it's, it's likely one that I will review. It came on the, uh, Audax label. This is the label uh, started by Johannes Promsholer, uh, and that's a collaboration between him 
and Jadran Duncombe, who is a lutenist. And they highlight uh, some pieces by Johann Sebastian Bach and uh, Silvius, Silvius Leopold Weiss. Um, so that, that's an interesting album that's come out too. But let's get back to uh, Glee Incogniti's reading of uh, what we're going to call BWV 1037. And I'm going to give you a little clip of the second movement, that Alla Breve, which was our fugue. And then I'm going to give you a taste of the last movement, marked Jig uh, with a tempo indication of Presto. bunch of different things uh, to uh, wet your whistle. Um, first of all, the ending of 1037 is, it's just hard for me to walk away and say that doesn't have the, the kiss of, a, of Bach to it. And it's one of the reasons because I think it's so well written and it's, it's, it's jaunty. It has a very interesting theme. And um, it reminds me a little bit of the jig from the fifth French suite, which is what we heard. Um, and that, to me, is this perpetual kind of 
it's, it's just joyous music. And to me, the it's it's got the rhythmic intensity that really um it's it's you don't come by it all that often and so it's hard not to look at that and say that's that's a very well written piece of music and and then we make this assumption well it has to be by a top level composer it must have the scent of Bach to it. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but uh, I guess if I um, if we could go back in time or we uncovered some history behind this piece, I wouldn't be surprised, just as I've postulated uh, with the uh, other parts of this sonata, that maybe the influence of Johann Sebastian Bach was involved in its genesis or refinement. Um, what I wanted to give you to counterbalance that the understanding that, oh, Goldberg is only a great composer because of Johann Sebastian Bach, um, which this doesn't disprove it, but that, that last clip I gave you comes from a piece that we do not dispute is by Goldberg. This is um, one of the trio sonatas for uh, two violins and basso continuo in C minor. This does appear in the album by the ensemble Musica Alta Ripa. And I wanted to give you a taste of Goldberg without this controversy of it having a BWV number because I think it reveals, at least to me, that Goldberg, uh, he had some good composing chops. Uh, he was able to write... Uh, interesting, dynamic, uh, rhythmically driven music, and it would uh, force us to think maybe he didn't need the uh, assistance of a Bach to write great music. Um, and if we believe the story that he was a gifted musician who could tackle the, the rigor of playing the Goldberg Variations at a young age, um, certainly lends itself to our belief that Goldberg was a very gifted musician. And so the mystery continues. I don't know with any strong definitive uh, evidence that we could say that Johann Sebastian Bach uh, is totally 100%, has nothing to do with this sonata, and so it lives uh, in two catalog systems. Uh, for those of you with recordings of music by Bach, you're going to find it under 1037. Uh, but you'll now find that it has achieved its own catalog number in the Goldberg um, catalog. And uh, it, to me, whoever wrote it, it's an interesting piece of music. It, I think it's somewhat forward-looking. Uh, I think it's got some, um, I think the faster movements to me are very interesting, well-written. And if you're not familiar with it, I hope you seek it out. Uh, there are a number of performances out there, either under the title of Bach or Goldberg, that you can find. And I wanted to highlight a few that are part of my collection. And that is episode 48. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to hear more, head to our website, uh, bieberfan.org. That's B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N dot O-R-G. And as always, I'm John Hendren, and thank you for listening.